0: Stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge.
1: Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to talk about when you should sell a stock. This is the biggest question I'm getting on Twitter. Zach's portfolios had two stocks up over 600% in 2020, just in that one year they were up over 600%. And some others in the Zach's portfolios have soared 200 or 300% in the last nine or 10 months. And I'm sure many of you have stocks that have done the same. Then there's also the issue of people who have been long-term investors who also have big winners. Some of those can be, you know, up 10 baggers as the saying goes and up, you know, triple digits and more as well over the last 5 to 10 years. So when should you sell? This is one of the most difficult questions in investing, I feel. And there's a lot of components to it. So I asked Kevin to be on the show this week because he recently sold a big winner out of his healthcare innovator portfolio. And I was kind of surprised to see it cause it's a big winner and suddenly, oh, he's selling it. So that stock was Vericel, ticker V-C-E-L. And so Kevin, I asked you to come on because I saw that you sold that. And I was wondering why did he sell it? How did he know to sell here? And maybe you could give us some of your wisdom and insights to help everyone out there who's sitting on these big winners and wondering whether or not they should cash it in.
0: Yeah, um, well, I'm glad to be here, Tracy. And and we both know you didn't call me just because of that one stock sale, because no. this is this is a theme that actually you and I we talk about a lot. We we've done several shows where we where we talk to people about how to handle. Corrections and bear markets and panics yes. and crashes. Yeah. And so so this is kind of the flip side of that. Like what to do when you've got big winners.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, you know, whenever anybody asks me, Hey, should I sell this? I, you know, my first answer is it depends, you know. <laughs> right. So I, I kind of go through with them like, well, what was your original rationale for buying the stock? And did you have uh, what, what was your objective? Was it just a short-term trade or was it, you know, you thought the stock had 50 to 100% upside over a year's time? Or did you think it was a world-changing stock, you know, um, a, a biotechnology stock, a, a great software stock, a, a Tesla? And, you know, so, so then you got to kind of gauge it, like, you know, why did you come here? And then, just like when somebody asked me, should I buy a stock? My first question to them is, well, what kind of money is this? You know, is this two-year money? Right. Then maybe you shouldn't buy this stock now. But if it's 20-year money and you like the investment, then yeah, start buying some now. So it's it's kind of the same thing when you sell. It's it's like, what what was your objective? And when are you going to need this money? Uh, and And if your objective was looking at this as a um a disruptive innovator over the next 5 to 10 years then then maybe you just sit with 300% gains and and let it keep running
1: yeah yeah that's always the one thing i always tell people what is your goal what was your goal for investing have you reached that goal and then the the other component is what's happening at that investment what's going on in that company is the story The same as when you bought it? Like, you know, has management remained the same? Are they still doing what you hoped they would do? All of that stuff. Right. Look at both sides of the equation. I mean, we've seen companies that have blown up, obviously, over the years. And, uh, you know, you could just be kind of in it and with the old management and the old philosophy, and then suddenly you find yourself in this whole new world. So that's a whole other component too that investors have to think about when they're thinking about whether or not to cash in and so.
0: sell. Yeah, and another way of looking at this, and you kind of touched on it, is you know, active investors already have a pretty sophisticated decision matrix about why to buy a stock, right? You you touched yeah. on some things, you know. What well, you like the industry? You like the innovation? You like the management growth valuation catalyst? The chart? The price target? You know you, um, and so we, we have all these things in our decision matrix matrix about why to buy. We should we should have sort of a similar decision process about well why sell? Do you just yeah. sell? You know you, you have to look at why were you in it in the first place, and one of the things that I like to get people to think about is think about the math. Of investing, and um, I used to teach short-term traders, and short-term trading is like one of the hardest things. Like nobody, it's very hard to succeed. You know, night. You know, you we hear stats like eighty percent of small businesses fail. Well, ninety-eight percent of small traders trying to day trade fail because there's so much randomness and our emotions get in the way. We can't handle the high speed. Uh, you know green arrows and red arrows and and so we make bad decisions we shoot ourselves in the foot so what i do to what i used to do to help cure people of overreacting emotionally to the red and green arrows is um get them to think in terms of ev and by ev i don't mean electric vehicles i mean expected value and expected value is like a, a simple formula for any kind of game where you look you take your win rate and multiply it times your um your your average win ratio like your your win to loss ratio and what that does is if you if you add up your your trades 100 trades or something you end up with an expected value of about what you should make on any given trade the, but the whole idea when you go into the mechanics of it is Um, I just have people do the math like they don't have to have a bunch of trades to to do this math. All I'm trying to do is show them the equation that if your losses are too big and your winners are too small, even if you're profitable overall, you won't make it in the long run as a trader. This is also true of investing. When you think about it, you want you need to let your winners run just to make up for the losses because there will be losses in investing. Right definitely so you need the winners to be big and you need to let them run um I, I heard uh, Peter Thiel one time say a lot of portfolios he's looked at the the biggest chunk of the gains came from one or two holdings that's now right. now that's that's him speaking as a venture capitalist where you know he might have you know 10 or 50 lines in the water and a lot of them aren't going to make it. And then a couple of them blow up and become, um, you know, Amazon nice. or Shopify or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of extreme to say that one or two. I think that's the way, sort of the way Bill Ackman plays is you know he's going to buy twelve things and he's going to research them so well and you know a couple of them are going to really kill it. But but for investors who are more broadly diversified, you still have to let those winners run. And th- th- here's what we're trying to fight is. The temptation to grab the green arrow and cash it in, right? So right. people people want people get so uh, they get so anxious about all that money on the table, and they want to put it in the bank. <laughs> right. And then if they do that too soon, you know, a, a couple of losses could wipe out that gain. You could have a, a couple of thirty percent losses that that destroy um, a stock that you that you had a double on. Right. Uh, so. So you gotta, you gotta know. I mean, long-term investing. I mean, look at, we can use Warren Buffett as an example all day, and we often do because what's his holding period? Forever, Forever. right? <laughs> right. Um, I, later on in this, it, as we get going here, I want to bring up a couple other really pro investors besides Warren Buffett who are good at the long-term holding period. Right. Um,
1: but even with the long term, if you Look at what Buffett has been doing the last couple of quarters. Now it may be him or it may be his lieutenants. We don't know because he never really tells us who decides these things usually. But even with his Apple position, which is now completely dominating his portfolio because of the big gains there, he did sell some shares last quarter. He did take a little bit off the top there. So Mm. apparently he is cashing in on, on some of these big gains as well.
0: Yeah, and it might be a yeah. It could be sort of a rebalancing thing for him. Exactly. And you know what? He's he's not afraid to make he's not afraid to admit his mistakes, right? No. He, he wasn't in tech forever. He finally buys IBM, that turns out to be a dud.
1: But yeah. along
0: along the way, somebody woke him up to Apple, <laughs> well, and I, I you know,
1: know yeah. you know what?
0: And they probably showed him the cash flow, right? That's right. They they yeah. probably it wasn't about the phone and the and the and the no. trendy products. It was about look at this cash flow and he's like, Holy smokes, give me some of yes. that.
1: Yes, he <laughs> loves that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, the the so when I talk about people eager, you know, we get so anxious about that green arrow and we wanna hang on to that money and put it in the bank um before it goes away. Part of the problem is is that well, this is the way I sum it up. If you as an investor, if you're seeking perfection, you should see a psychiatrist, <laughs> because there is no perfection, right? right? We're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna pick stocks at the wrong time and lose money. So, um, the, the the what people this this tendency we have where our brains are like it's the monkey mind. The monkey mind is like you know, so tense and nervous, and and we experience this agony of missing the top or the bottom. Well, nobody gets the top or the bottom all the time. Right. And if right. you if you live in that world, it, what it, what it happens is it clouds your decision making, it drives your money away, and it prevents you from ever developing a set of rules and a process, you know, so that you can be systematic about, well, this is this was my rationale for buying this stock. I still think it has 5 years to run. So I'm gonna sit with the 200 or 300% win. I mean, um, the big investors besides Buffett that I wanted to bring up are, the, are a couple that killed it in Tesla along with some other things. And that's the Scottish hedge fund, Bailey Gifford, which is, was founded in Edinburgh in 1908 and is still there. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, ARK Invest, Kathy Wood. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I call that duo Bailey and Kathy. And these are the professors that you want to learn from because they were both huge Tesla investors. Bailey Gifford was the largest private Tesla holder besides Elon Musk, and Kathy Wood with Ark Invest was right up there too. Yeah. Um, and they never they never faltered. Um, so. Uh, I remember once I discovered their large positions in Tesla and, and with Kathy Wood had like a $5,000 price target, you and I did a show on it in January and then she moved yes. it up to 7,000. Um, this was a year ago. They didn't, they didn't panic during the Corona crash. And, and I was saying, Hey, listen, Tesla. Now I'm a believer in Tesla. Once I understand Kathy woods thesis about how they're going to dominate um, autonomous ride sharing with 80% gross margins. I thought, wow, Tesla's probably going to crash at some point from $1000 back down to 500 and I think we should buy it. But did I do that during the corona crash? No, because everybody was saying the economy shut down, you know, right. the the Fremont auto plant for Tesla's that's going to shut down, you know, this is not the time to be buying car stocks.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> the, yeah
0: and Bailey Gifford and Kathy Wood never, you know, they just hung on. In fact, they were buying more.
1: But isn't isn't what Kathy's whole thesis is about Tesla doesn't that that plays into what you were just saying to start off the show that you have a system or you have, you know, th- this type of goal or this theory or whatever it is? and you stick with it. And she does have like a system of investing and she sticks with it. And that's why she still is owns the stock. She hasn't sold it because she does have this whole thing set up around the stock. Now she may be right or she may be wrong, we don't know yet, but she has it and she's sticking with it. And I think that's where a lot of people who also bought Tesla last year don't have that. That kind of system can be comforting to a lot of investors to give them an idea of what they should be doing because Tesla hasn't reached the end goal yet that she has set for the company. So in her mind, like, no, of course I'm not selling. It hasn't reached that end, end goal. But the person who just who did buy it, let's say they bought it on the sell-off, they, they did overcome the issues that you were just talking about why you didn't buy it, and they did buy it and now they're sitting on about a 700% or slightly more gain what what do those people do now those are the people i feel i have the most anxiety from because they don't yeah. have they don't they didn't have a real objective like she has around the stock and now they have this what is an enormous gain let's be honest it just is
0: yeah. And, yeah, and I—I I mean, there's nothing wrong with selling some of the position too. You well, know, it's like that
1: was my next question. Like, yeah, you know, I believe in taking some off the table if you feel that anxious about it. Because, what difference does it make if you're cashing it in? Like, isn't that is part of your goal? We should hope that you wanna mm-hmm. you wanna make profit and gains. So, but this goes back to the other component you were just also mentioning about the timing and that some people believe like they're gonna leave further gains on the table. They have 700%. What if it goes up a thousand and they had sold half of their position? Then they're missing out. And so that that, that anxiety about the missing of further gains is giving making yeah. them frozen, basically. Well,
0: and that, and that goes back to the thing of seeking perfection. You know, yeah. you're never gonna nail the exact top. And um and, and and I should clarify that both the Bailey Gifford funds and the Ark Invest funds did have to sell some Tesla okay. because
1: the
0: because the positions were too large a percentage of their portfolios. Okay. You know, it was just a matter of we can't have something that's 15% of a fund. You know, we yeah. need we need to pare that down to 10% or lower and 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 they're that way they're prepared to buy the dips too. So basically yeah. they're They're doing, you know, an an old school thing that I learned a long time ago from from Jim Cramer is uh, hold core and trade the, you know, trade the balance, trade around it. Yeah. Um, So you hold a core position and you you buy the dips and sell the rips on partials. And that sort of, you know, that sort of funds it.
1: So. Let's go back to your Vericel because I sure, am sure. curious about why did you sell that? Yeah. You, had a, you had over 100% winner in it in a short period of time too, I believe, right? It was not real yeah, long I, that you've held I that. I bought it in
0: July. And so okay. Vericell, um, they have some proprietary technologies for uh, skin regeneration from severe burns. So we're talking like fourth degree burns. They have a way to help your body grow new skin cells. And it's not, you know, you're not gonna be perfectly restored, but I've seen, you know, when when you're talking fourth degree burns, that's deep into the,
1: yeah.
0: um, the skin tissues, uh, you know, those people will take, you know, any kind of regeneration. Um, and they also make products for regenerating your knee cartilage Right. Other things. So so when I I discovered the company and learned a a bit more about it last summer, um, trading under $15 uh, and looked at some of the analyst reports, there was an analyst at Oppenheimer who was very optimistic. He had like a $33 price target. And then I saw them uh, seeking FDA approval for um, one of their uh, formulations called Nexabrid, which that's still pending. Um, i thought you know what this is a i like the risk reward here and and, um, and you know this the stock finally started to get noticed um, and you know got over thirty dollars and there were no analysts uh, with price targets really i mean the average price target was was like 27 and so at 31 bucks i thought you know what they're still going up against the fda gauntlet to get approval for for the next level of this, um, I'm just going to take the 100% gain now and see what happens, you know. Because it's still a small company, it's still, yeah. you know, something could go wrong with the FDA. Whenever you're going into an FDA approval, it's a it's a coin flip, you know, it's a gamble. Right. right. So, um, you know that. So so that was sort of my decision matrix. Is like I got a big chunk of what I came for, and you know. If tomorrow uh, some big biopharma company comes and buys them for you know a couple billion dollars and the stock soars to fifty, um, will I kick myself? Eh, maybe. You know, but uh, I do hold a lot of stocks in my healthcare portfolio because I think they are great assets that a big biopharma company might want to buy. Yeah. Uh, and in in fact, we're coming up here. We're coming up to the. Uh, JP Morgan Healthcare Conference next week, which is always a big time for a company to announce M&A activity. Okay. Um, and three years ago, <laughs> in 2018, I hit, I hit uh, a grand slam where I woke up on a Monday morning and I had two companies bought out in early January. Wow. One, one was uh, Juno, which was in CAR-T therapy, and another was uh, Bioverative. Uh, and they were both bought out for big premiums and, but you know what, that's never happened since I've never had two companies (laughs) bought the same week, let alone on the same day uh, around the JP Morgan healthcare conference. So there's always that, there's always that M and a aspect where you think, you know, so I do hold some things that are just kind of drifting sideways because I think they're great ass great undervalued assets and they could either get bought or they could cross the next FDA hurdle. So it's a that, that's always the, the the trickier part with healthcare.
1: Okay, so it sounds like Merisell met your goal for when yes. you when you bought it. It met the goal, and that's why you decided to take your profit and get
0: out. Yeah, I mean, it, and it met it actually actually exceeded the goal because it got, you know, it exceeded all analyst price targets basically, um, even before it it got through its ne- next uh FDA window.
1: Okay. Wow. That's one to keep on my watch list though cuz I know you've talked about it before and Yeah. I
0: definitely- and 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 uh for the uh, regenerative, regenerative uh uh knee cartilage business. Yeah. They've got they've got a uh, an Olympic swimmer who's like she's like she's probably in her 50s um and she had some knee problems. You know, she's a yeah. mother and uh she just she does a uh a testimonial for them about how, you know, she's she got her knees back because of their technology.
1: Yeah, the knee cartilage part intrigues me maybe even more than the the burn part, but both are are really great. So yeah, um, there's a lot of people with knee issues that have to get the knee replacement that they otherwise might not need to do if they had a product like this. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting to watch. Okay, so let's switch over to a different scenario of, and I I talked a little bit about this at the open as well, about the investor who is a long-term investor they bought years ago. And let's say they bought one of the Fang stocks years ago. And I have a friend who bought Facebook, ticker FB, as everyone knows, um, a little bit after the IPO when it fell back, when it sold off. And he has a cost basis of thirty dollars a share. and the it, the shares had traded as high of, almost at three hundred, I think last year. So he basically has a ten bagger in it. What about investors like him who he has held on through the ups and the downs, and he has the big winner in there? Uh, in any of the Fang stocks, I guess you could say the same thing. They all have done well over the last five to 10 years, basically. So what what about those investors? Do, does the same kind of analysis apply? Do they still go back to, like, why did I buy this? What is my goal? And how do you decide when to sell one of these long-term winners?
0: Yeah, now- I mean, I can talk about this a couple of different ways and I'd almost prefer to talk about it company specific. Okay. Um, like, you know, kudos to your friend who did this yeah. because he hung on. That's
1: right.
0: Um, but I would have been, because I would have been scared out with all the regulatory the privacy pressure yeah. that Facebook was up against. And, and I mean, gotta be honest, Zuckerberg never looked good when he went to the Hill, right? He he was always in the crosshairs and he, and he came on, he didn't come off as, you know, uh, remorseful about anything or conciliatory about anything, you know? So it was just like, Oh my gosh, they're going to hammer him. And you can't, you can't fight the government. So if, 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 you know, industry regulation is going to, is going to change a business, but that hasn't happened. So then it's like, so the, so in the one sense, we we opened with saying, well, what was your original thesis for buying, and how much of that how much of that has changed? You know, was this a one year investment or a ten year investment? But with with a Facebook, you're allowed to reevaluate, right? Especially yeah. when the government's involved. Um, I have a similar story with Alibaba. I've always been a big Alibaba fan, but they just ran into a big regulatory wall. Um, first, Jack Ma must have really annoyed. The uh, the party rulers, um, yeah. and so they wouldn't let Ant Financial go IPO, which was what basically what put Alibaba above three hundred a share. And then they're getting um, uh, drawn and quartered for possibly antitrust action. So, yeah. uh, so that's why Alibaba's got knocked down. Facebook has seemed to you know sort of find its way, and then you so you have to look at it. Okay, if they can if they can. Get on Washington's good side and and clean up their act with whatever it is, privacy, uh, disinformation, um, any of that. Then what is where will the core business make money? You know, and if it's just advertising, um, I I would say, you know, yeah, reevaluate. Also di- look to diversify the 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 killer advertising platform of of 2019 and 2020. Is the trade desk, which is which is what I call the CME of advertising, on uh, on the web and on connected TV, you know, streaming TV, they they're basically you know stealing from the walled gardens of Facebook and Google by allowing advertisers to just program their ad buys systematically across all platforms twenty four seven. So, yeah, you could still hold Facebook, but look at where. Advertising dollars might also go if that's still Facebook's core business.
1: Yeah, that gets back to what I was saying that, you know, the longer term investors who have these big winners need to really evaluate and check in on what their companies are actually doing and whether or not that business remains the same business that they bought or is going in the direction that they want it to go into and all of that. That's a definitely a good thing to point out because. You know, a lot can change in 10 years or 20 years for sure. And um, people need to to be checking in and not, not always expecting everything, you know, is just going to be run smoothly along all that amount of time period.
0: Yeah, and I'll give you a, a real specific example again between Facebook and Alibaba. As soon as the regulatory stuff slammed Alibaba, um, I started selling some because I'm like, you cannot okay. fight – you not only can you not fight the US government you definitely don't want to fight the Chinese government and that and that's actually been a thesis of yours for a long time is you do <laughs> not like the you know it's it's like the favored company status or not in china right um and that's why I always I only stay with the big companies i didn't think that alibaba would run afoul but obviously jack ma said some things that were not acceptable to the <laughs> to the party right. and uh so what i did is i sold some shares to make me feel more comfortable, and I didn't sell at the high, I didn't sell over three hundred. Um, and now I'm in a position to, after this settles down, maybe I buy some back. And I and I think a lot of Facebook investors did that too, when, you know, when Facebook first started having problems after the 2016 election, and since then, and, you know, um, at least in uh, at least in your friend's case, you know, he was just like, I'm just holding this forever,
1: right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I own Facebook in my own personal portfolio too, and I did not sell when they had all those initial privacy issues. Okay. Um, And I haven't sold it now either, now that they have the FTC. Like there is a legit uh, concern that they may be busted up and may have to spin off like Instagram or or WhatsApp or both of them separately. Um, But yeah, we hear
0: all these smart people like, like uh, Professor Galloway, he thinks they should all be broken up, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and the same thing with Google. I mean, Alphabet, you know, they, they could spin off YouTube and a couple of their other divisions too. But but we'll see what happens. Um, but it doesn't seem to be impacting the actual stocks right now, at least. But it is something does it, does that... Does
0: that mean we're in a bubble?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I mean, this is some of the things that get glossed over when things get a little too hot, right? Right. Um, okay, so another type of stock that I did want to talk about were some of the uh, pandemic plays, the you know, work from home or stay home type of plays that had huge gains in 2020. So one of those would be Chewy, Chewy.com, um, C-H-W-Y. It soared because everybody got pets, and they were all ordering all their pet supplies online, but it's started to turn over, it looks like, and the shares are down pretty sharply off of their December highs here. It doesn't have a PE. It's going to um, expect to see a loss of $0.34 cents this year and still another loss of $0.08 cents next year. It has a price-to-sales ratio of 5.6, so is this like these types of stocks, the pandemic plays that were more, you know, based on events rather than other things going on? What should investors do who got, you know, into some of these at the right time? Does this follow the same advice we've been giving that they need to, you know, think about their goals, why they got in, all of that? Or should they just be, uh, you know, take, take the gains and get out of these kind
0: these ones yeah uh so chewy is the is that uh pet supplies yeah yeah so i don't know that much about it but um it's so funny that we're even talking about this because what was what was one of the poster child of the 2000 melt up and crash wasn't it like was it pets.com or something
1: it was pets.com yeah. <laughs> and web fan which was us.
0: Uh, right s- supermarket delivery, right? So they're
1: they both ahead of their
0: time. Yeah. So the, the pet food thing is like, yeah, maybe, maybe chewy, you know, obviously benefited from yeah. the shut the shutdown and, and really, do, you know, m- now maybe they can establish this long-term business, but do they really have a moat, you know, and, right. and do people want to go back to the store? My example is I look at zoom, like yeah, I could it. never, understand how Zoom could soar like that when when there's so many other alternatives, right? Like there's Skype, right? Yeah. Skype, which is mostly free. Um, uh, Google has a lot of things like my, I have a daughter in high school and they exclusively use Google And so there's, there's Google meet, you know, and then they can have, you know, teachers can have meetings. And I, and I don't know if they have to pay for, you know, the volume of people they have on and calls and stuff. But I, I just thought, how does zoom have this, this moat that it's soaring, you know, goes up to 550 bucks or whatever. Um, you know, so I think, I think you, when you, when you look at it, like, did you really like a chewy is chewy, you know, is it disruptive innovation you know is it going to be something that is changing an industry you know 5 years from now probably not right. you know, so so maybe that was just a pandemic play and but and, uh, uh, and and maybe the business is established now and it has some kind of future so you you hold on to some shares
1: right this goes back to our or other advice that you can sell. No no one's stopping you from selling a portion of your holdings and right. taking the gain and then seeing what else happens. And, um, you know, I feel like that's like a, a good way to ease your anxiety. If you're really feeling anxious that you're going to lose out on a lot of these gains, then just cash some in.
0: Now, you run the value investor portfolio here, and I'm sh- uh, I wonder if you do the same thing I do with healthcare. since since I do have a long term focus, I keep track of things that I sell for decent gains that um, were a long term hold. Meaning I, I held it for over a year, you know, so it's long term capital gains. Do you keep track of how many you do there?
1: Um, most of mine are long
0: term. Yeah. See, that's so- that's great.
1: Yeah, because that's our mandate is to hold, as Warren Buffett does, for forever, if possible. But our oldest holding only goes back to 2018. Okay. Because it's, you know, we have cashed in on some, and then some of the business models have changed over that time period. Like, say, for energy, we used to hold a bunch of energy shares, and then we had to get out of all of that. And we're still out. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, same thing to some extent with the banks, the big banks. We held some of those for several years, but then we had to get out of that once the earnings, you know, started to get just slashed really horribly at some of the banks. So um, but yeah, we we hold for the long period over there, but it does it does um, because that's our mandate. That brings up another issue too, with when do you sell? Like we have some that we've held for several years that are big winners in there, but we do what you and I just did on this podcast, and we look at the underlying business. Why did we buy it? What do does that earnings uh, picture look like? You know what's happening with sales? Is the management still good? Are they still following their strategy? All of that, and then we we decide whether or not to get out. So, yeah, it's a lot of questions you have to ask.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, the market the market is not rational and it is not efficient. I mean, if it were, you know, everybody would either be rich or nobody would be ma- making any money because everyone, everyone would be in the same trades, right? So, yeah. look, um, I'm going to do a thing tomorrow, actually, for... For our team, I'm gonna do a presentation on um, great stocks that were held down for a long time and it seemed like half of Wall Street hated them and then they exploded higher. Okay. And that that list includes things like Square and Tesla uh, and my CRISPR stocks, um, Baidu just exploded and guess who I found out was buying Baidu, Kathy Wood. Really? Uh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I'm glad I got it. That was like the one time I got in something before her. Um, <laughs> but but uh, a little bit to my credit, I was already buying the CRISPR stocks for the past three years before I knew she was a heavy investor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and Square. But, but Square is a great example of something that they, a, a stock that was just irrationally hated by Wall Street and held down at like $50 and $60 for the longest time when. Um, I was following one analyst, uh, Dan Dolev, who was like, the, the cash app is growing tremendously. And when you look at the ecosystem, like I called Square the the Apple of fintech, not because of products, but because once you got the one product that you could swipe a credit card with for your business, then it created all these other services for a small business person. Like, why would they ever want to leave? You know, yeah. uh, accounting uh, loans, bookkeeping, um, you know, uh, sales tracking, inventory tracking, all this stuff that just and then Square would just use the data, and I couldn't believe how Wall Street hated the stock, and like even coming out of the pandemic, there were banks saying, "Ah, we're a hold, we're a sell." You know, seventy dollar price target is the best we can do, and you know now Square is making new highs above two twenty. Wow, um, you know, so that that's one example of how things get. But but what Kathy Wood did is she just bet on the innovation. She's like yeah. they are going to be, you know, this disruptive player in fintech. Um, oh, and I also, I also call Square Jamie Dimon's favorite mistake because, in 2019 at a, at a JP Morgan Investor Day, you know he was asked, uh, Jamie, you know you guys are doing so many things right. I mean, who could possibly take you on? And he goes, actually, I'd like to turn it around and say point at somebody who I wish we did what they did. And that was square. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: So um, my, my point with that is like, when you, when you, when you do pick something that you believe, you know, has this, this sort of disruptive quality, or is a technology platform that changes something five to 10 years from now, um, it, it can be hard to hang on, especially yes. if it seems like uh, half the investment community doesn't like it. And so, you know, anybody who hung on to Tesla or Square um, obviously recognized that that challenge. And the, the CRISPR stocks for me, I just, um, the CRISPR stocks just all exploded in December after the, um, the ASH meeting, the American Society of Hematology. And they may be on now to double and triple from here because th- they went from two to three billion market caps. Now they have five to 10 billion market caps. But we're talking about a science that that could be the greatest discovery of this century. You know, gene editing. You know, should the should that whole should all three of those stocks really just trade for less than you know fifteen billion?
1: Yeah, it sounds like I'm going to have to have you on a podcast to talk about all this.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you'll we'll see. We'll see how well I present it tomorrow to to our uh, strategy team. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so I feel better after doing this podcast. I feel. Even for myself, I don't even own Tesla, but I feel like I did learn something on this podcast, and I now have a strategies or um, ways I can think about whether or not I want to sell some or all of my Tesla, and that makes me feel better, <laughs> even though I don't even own it.
0: So hey, let I, me give let me give you one more like Square, Roku, everybody. Oh, yeah. Half of Wall Street hated Roku. The guy, a guy at Wedbush was like, you sell this, it's going to 60 bucks. And I was like, I want to buy it at 100 bucks. But the, the bears got in my head saying, this is just a piece of hardware, you know, that can be duplicated by anybody. And then Comcast came out with some copy that was only like five bucks a month. And I thought, oh, that's it for Roku. Well, Roku is now, you know, a $350 stock because, you know, they were doing something You know with connected tv and advertising and data tracking that has made the difference for their business
1: yeah yeah okay so we talked about a lot of different stocks on this week's episode i'm going to go through a lot of the tickers um and as always remember to have a plan of what you're doing with your investments because that will make you uh feel better and i know a lot of people like the um, system types of investing. That's why we have the Zacks rank. The rank does help you to some extent with that kind of system thing. So might want to check out the rank if you're interested in that. It is a short term recommendation, remember just one to three months. So it's not really going to help you to tell you whether or not to sell Facebook, but, um, it's still the rank is a good way to get into a system type of investment so let me recap those tickers Vericel is vcel then we did talk about tesla many times t-s-l-a facebook is fb chewy is c-h-w-y alibaba b-a-b-a trade desk is t-t-d Zoom video is ZM, remember, not Zoom. It's (laughs) ZM. Square is SQ. Baidu, B I D U. And then we had Roku there at the end, R O K U. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Market Edge, especially when I have Kevin back on to talk about the CRISPR stocks. You want to make sure you're subscribing to get it at all times. You can get us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and many other platforms, including SoundCloud. But get us somewhere, and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks.